Thanks for listening, Unplugged Army. I'm Louis Unga, General Manager at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. We're proud to present Doug Franz Unplugged. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Four minutes. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. That affects Maricopa County, the state of Arizona, and the world you get in four minutes. We start things off in Arlington, Texas. Game one of the World Series is tonight, and the Diamondbacks are in it. Zach Gallen goes for the Snakes. Wonderful regular season, 17 and 9, 347 ERA, not great, 1.12 whip, fantastic. But postseason not as good, 2-2, two and two, 524 ERA, 148 whip. Zach, what's your focus for game one? No secret, I feel like I didn't you know, help the guys that much. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking to try and pull my weight this time around. Love that. That's simple. Do better. He's going up against Nathan Eovaldi, who has done better. 12-5 in the regular season, but 4-0 post. 363 ERA regular season, 242 post, 114 whip regular season, 096 post. He'll throw the first pitch at 503. Suns a loser, 195, led most of the game, and then the Lakers killed him in the fourth quarter. KD had 39 and 11, but he had eight turnovers. Anthony Davis went for 30 and 12, mostly because Nurkic was in foul trouble all night. Suns home opener tomorrow against Utah, 7 o'clock. Kyler Murray no longer listed on the injury report, meaning the knee does not limit him in practice at all, but most reports say he will not play against the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson is having a fantastic year so far for Baltimore. Buda Baker, now that you're back on the field, what do you see from the former MVP? Lamar Jackson is doing a, a great job of uh, getting the ball out and you know throwing it, whether it's quick game, even intermediate throws or even deep throws. Um, a guy who can also get out of that pocket and uh, you know in the blink of a blink of an eye, he's getting 20 yards. So you know we, it's definitely a very big challenge for us. Hey Bear, if you're watching, the uh, sound was a little overmodulated there with Buddha. Game kickoff Sunday in Glendale, 125. <laughs> Coyotes got national attention when defenseman Travis Dermott used pride tape on his stick, which at the time was illegal in the NHL. It has now rescinded that rule. Travis, why'd you do it? Got some tight connections with someone um, who's still in the closet, and uh, they're breaking down to my soul. It's probably why uh, you know, I have the confidence to really take that first step, um, because it would be so, home, so close to home. Last game for the Coyotes was against the Kings. They got beat up in the third, lost six to three. They play them again tonight in uh, Tempe, face off seven o'clock. ASU, no conference wins. Washington State just got crushed and knocked out of the top 25. They meet in Tempe, kickoff Saturday, five o'clock. U of A's at home, but it's not a sellout against number 11 team in the country, Oregon State. Jed Fish, who's starting a quarterback? Yeah, I'm going to keep that till game time right oh. now. I think, uh, I think they're both ready to play, though. I think they're both ready to play, and um, we'll have to see, um, you know, how it's all going to end up. But right now, they're both going to be dressed, both going to be participating in warm-ups. Interesting. Kickoff at 7.30. 
are in the second round of the playoffs against Orange County. Kickoff tomorrow, 7 o'clock. And finally, three different cars, three different owners. Same house. Explain this. In New Jersey, there's an arsonist that lit a car on fire that was sitting in its driveway. The house was sold. Nine months later, new owner's new car, and the car was lit, a different car was lit on fire by an arsonist. Two years after that, new family, new car, same house, same driveway, and an arsonist lit that car on fire. Here's a general rule. Don't buy that house. Jackpot Unplugged Army. I feel like a true commander-in-chief to be able to give you such an unprecedented savings. Go to Unplugged at Whirlwind.com and check out the new membership club from Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Whirlwind Plus. Here's what you get. You sign up for a tee time anytime between now and five days from now, and you can save anywhere from a minimum of 30% up to 60% off, plus 15% off at Civlik, the restaurant, and another 15% off in the pro shop. I'm telling you, you walk into the pro shop, get bowls, a shirt, and a hat. You walk over for happy hour with your wife. You might pay for your monthly membership right then and there. It's $34 a month, cancel anytime. Or if you want to save even more, because that equals out to a little more than $400, you can get it for only $299 a year. Whirlwind Plus at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Go to unpluggedatwhirlwind.com and feel the wind. I'm Janelle, General Manager of Bell's Nashville Kitchen, a.k.a. The Whiskey Wizard. Bell's isn't your typical country bar with mediocre bar food. We are a scratch kitchen with chef-inspired dishes in the only place you can get the best sandwich in all of Arizona, our Nashville hot chicken sandwich. Now, the drinks. I spend days infusing our own whiskey creations. Come in for Whiskey Wednesdays to learn about and drink our famous whiskey selection. We have live music most days and all weekend as part of our honky-tonk brunch. Bell's Nashville Kitchen on Main Street in Old Town Scottsdale. You found home, down home. Two thousand one. You might have heard the story, but Game One of the two thousand one World Series started on October twenty seventh, and every day of the twenty twenty three World Series will be played at the exact same day that it was in two thousand one. And Ohio, with the way the man that threw out the first pitch for Game One in 01 will do it again tonight. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever it is that you've decided to make Doug Franz unplugged a part of your day, my family greatly appreciates it. My name is Doug Franz, and you have found the only podcast in the world totally devoted to the coverage of the four major sports franchises of one great American city that drops on your phone and your television every weekday morning. We also cover ASU, U of A, GCU, the Rattlers, the Rising, and the Merck. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by... Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Beer Friday. How, come on now. We have a World Series today. And George Bush, former president of the United States, who threw out the first pitch in 2001 while wearing a bulletproof vest underneath his jacket, is now going to throw out the first pitch. But now, granted... He's a former general partner of the Texas Rangers, so he's a little biased. And the Rangers would have had him throw out the first pitch whether they were playing the Diamondbacks or not. But the fact 
that the Diamondbacks won the 01 World Series with Game 1 of the World Series being played on October 27th. And President Bush, he actually did not throw out Game 1. I said Game 1 and I was wrong. Game 3, threw out the first pitch of Game 3, but he did throw out a first pitch at the World Series and now he's doing it for Game 1. Here we go. Here we go. Oh my gosh. Jacked up. Really jacked up for a uh, for a World Series. I'm in a weird haze today, I uh, just to be blunt. I, I went home kind of early, had plans to do all of these different things, and I hit a wall yesterday. I fell asleep. I don't even remember what time I went. I fell asleep until CEO Chris called, and he woke me up. And then, uh, so then I talked to him for a little bit, and then I said, okay, time to get to work. And uh, so I went from my bed to my chair, and then I fell asleep again. <laughs> so this, is, this has been a pretty draining week with everything that I had going on, and yesterday was just the day. It happens to me. A lot of people are amazed at my energy and the fact that I only sleep two and a half to three hours a day. And that's true. You know, it is kind of crazy and freaky that I can do that. However, there is about once every 10 days, and it usually happens on, it's usually Saturday morning. I usually crash hard Friday night and sleep almost all day Saturday morning. And I get up at like 10 or 11. And, uh, and then I'm like, okay, I'm ready for the next 10 days. Well, it hit yesterday, and I was out uh, almost uh, all day. So that kind of stunk to be, uh, to be asleep that long. But, you know, oh, well. And today I'm jacked up. I'm golfing. Listen, Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. You could see, you, I, I say that a lot before I mention the wigwam. But I, uh, I live on the west side, and uh, I sometimes golf at the wigwam. And today I'm golfing there with a new baseball source. So I'm really jacked up to, uh, to do that. Somebody that I just met recently, and, uh, and we're going to hit it around a little bit. Let's do this, Jeff Weir Productions. I propose a toast, a toast to the 2023 Arizona Diamondbacks for what you've accomplished so far, for how many times you stepped on doubters, including myself, and for your victory in six games for when you go back next Friday, a week from today in Texas, you win the World Series. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, yeah. Grandbeer! You got that right. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Hi. I'm in a wonderful mood now. Everything's changed. Uh, sound credits today. I might need your help on this one, Jeff. We're production. We got a ton of stuff. Let's go. AZCardinals.com, MLB PR department, Coyotes PR department, and uh, Arizona Wildcats on YouTube. And then we've got stuff from yesterday from Sun Devil Source uh, YouTube. And I think that's it. You nailed it. Oh, yeah. Player, player. All right. Let's roll. Doug's big one. My big one today, my number one opinion. Of course, I'm going to be talking almost all Diamondbacks today, but my number one opinion today is that the Arizona Cardinals should have a goal line or short yardage package for plays with Kyler Murray against the Baltimore Ravens. Don't tell me that his knee is fine. Don't lie on the injury report and say there's zero hesitation for him at practice, zero limitation, I should say, for him at practice, and then don't play him. If he's fine, play him. What are you afraid of? Now, here's the catch. I realize they weren't sure yet. They wanted to see him in the second week of practice, and I'm sure that Dobbs got the majority of the reps 
for uh, during practice. And therefore, you're not going to put Kyler out there when he got when he didn't get the majority of the reps. If he wasn't working as the starting quarterback all week, why put him in as the starting quarterback on Sunday? Makes sense. Yet, he was supposedly the scout team quarterback giving the defense the best possible look they could possibly do to see what is it like to play against Lamar Jackson. Well, you're going up against Kyler. Pretty good look for preparation for the defense. However... Why not have some goal line packages in there? I realize Joshua Dobbs is an electric is a good runner, but Kyler's an electric runner. Why not? I'm not talking about a lot of plays. I'm talking about four or five. Get the crowd going, be a little bit more electric. Why 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 would you not do that? Now here's Drew Pensing letting us know a little bit about the situation. He was asked, how good has Kyler done so far in practice translating all of the class word, uh, class board, uh, let's try that again, all of the chalkboard work that he has done since the beginning of, of minicamp, really, all the way until now that he's actually out on the field? He was awesome. You know, I think his engagement in the meeting room certainly showed up. You saw some strides quickly, like, it was something that didn't take very long. Like, I right, got it. That's what we talked about in the meeting room. Here it is on the field. I'm going to go out and make sure that I'm focused on it, getting it done. So really encouraged by that. Uh, he was really into it. I think it was exciting and fun for him to be out there. So it was great to see that. I mean, anytime you go through an injury in a rehab like that, your first time back on the field, there's some emotion, some energy, and uh, it was good to see that from him. So they're impressed with the energy and the knowledge of what's going on. And then Josh Weinfuss of ESPN asked kind of a follow-up question which was, where is Kyler at knowledge of the offense-wise versus what's fair? Is he ahead of where he should be? Is he right where he should be? Or is he below where he should be? In a lot of ways, I think he'd probably answer that better than me. Um, but I was really encouraged with how well he did making that transition. You know, I think it's, it's not an easy one. And it's not always going to be smooth. But it certainly... He's asking the right questions. He's doing the right things. I think he's putting himself in a position to be successful and operate the offense when he's out there. So really excited about that. So the Cardinals, sorry I'm cheating. If, you are, if you're watching me on WTSMTV.com, you see me cheat. But I, uh, if you're not uh, watching and you're listening to the podcast right now, I might just not – I just might edit this out and you don't know that I'm cheating. Um Okay, I, I messed up on the schedule. I thought that they were home against the Falcons next, and I forgot about their road game in Cleveland. So where do you want Kyler to start? Do you want him to start at a home game? So does that work out that you start him in Cleveland, or does that work out that you uh, wait until he takes on the Atlanta Falcons? Based on the time that you activated him, uh, I think he's got to start against Cleveland because you've got a three-week window, and I think that would be the end of the three weeks. Uh, for him to play so I think you've got to do it next week or but you technically you don't have to you could release him okay we all know that's not going to happen so therefore once you open the three-week window he's got to play and the Cardinals are always under Jonathan Gannon very coy about injuries and very coy about what they're doing it would be something to shock the world and shock the Ravens that Kyler's just right out there and, uh, and and nobody expects it, and he actually plays on Sunday. But if not, that means he's got to play against Cleveland. I, I see no reason why he wouldn't get some snaps uh, this game. Do I think it's going to happen? No, I don't. I admit. I don't, I don't think um, the Cardinals are that creative, but that's what Doug's big one is, that you need to do that. He needs to be out there. 
If you've not listed him on the injury report for this week, then is he the starting quarterback or not? I mean, if he's your supposed franchise quarterback and he's not hurt, why wouldn't he be playing? That doesn't make any sense. Did they not know that he was going to be healthy this week? Did they not know based on last week that, hey, he's ready? Let's, let's watch this. There's not a lot of talk about this, but let's keep an eye on it. That's Doug's big one. It's a short Doug's big one, though, because we have so much to get to. Okay, let's go to Zach Allen. I like this one a lot. The reason why I love this one is he's just honest about it. If you haven't seen it, Nathan Eovaldi, think about the gap. His record versus postseason record this year, 12-5 and five versus 4-0. and oh. Zach Allen, 17-9 and nine versus 2-2. Two and two. ERA, Evaldi, 3.63 versus 2.42. Again, that's regular season versus his own postseason. So he's cut off uh, more than a run off of his ERA. Listen to Zach Allen's. 347 regular season, 524 postseason. Almost two full runs. 1.8 something is the gap that it's gone up. And then the whip, which is a great determination of how many people are you allowing on base. Nathan Uvalde went from 1.14 in the regular season. Anything below 1.15 is really good. He's at 1.14, and it still went down to 0.96. Wow. He's allowing one base runner probably about every five outs, something like that. Then Zach Allen. You, his whip went from 1.12, better than Eovaldi, jumped up as high as 1.48 right now. So Zach Allen has been worse in the postseason than he was in the regular season. So therefore, Zach, when we look at your focus coming off of the Brewer series, coming off of the Dodgers series, and now coming off of the Philly series, what are you focused on for game one of the World Series? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think for me, um, I said it after the two starts, is that, you know, just lack of execution, really. Um, so for me, I just trying to execute a little bit better um, and give us a chance to win, really. I, uh, no secret, I feel like I didn't, you know, help the guys that much. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking to try and pull my weight this time around. Um, but for me, yeah, it's just, it's really just about executing pitches. Um, you know, we got, you know, a handful of games left. So, um, you know, give it my all and, and see what happens. One of the things I'd love to see from him is with the bullpen being as good as it is, that he takes advantage of that. Um, the, the real thing about the bullpen, the tough thing about the bullpen, is Brandon fought game three going into a bullpen game. If I'm Tori Lovello, and I know he doesn't have the courage to do it, I would actually think about switching, and I would put fought game two. The reason why is you have a better chance with fought in game two. Now, he gives up the home run ball, which is scary, but you can use your bullpen with fought and double up for game two. Then you go off day Sunday, Merrill Kelly Monday, that would be two days in a row where you use your bullpen less going into your bullpen game on Tuesday. I think that's the way to go. That's not what they're going to do. They're going to stack bullpen and fought in game three and turn right around and use that same bullpen game four. I don't love that. I don't like a bullpen game at all, but if you've got to do a bullpen game, let's get a pitcher with more length to pitch the day before the bullpen game. I think that makes a lot more sense. 
But one way to really hone in is since game one, you don't need to save the bullpen for game two. If you're going to make the mistake of Kelly in game two, then if I'm Zach Gallon, I'm using that bullpen. And what I mean by that is don't pace yourself. Don't pitch in order to try to get to the seventh inning. Challenge guys now. Get guys out right now and go after people and, and be aggressive and feel good unless it's uh, Adolis Garcia. With Garcia... Even when he hit the grand slam, he struck out four times, okay? So what I'm doing with Adolis Garcia is I'm pitching to him if the bases are empty. I'm walking him, of course, if, there's, if first base is open. But one thing I'm doing to him, if I am Zach Allen, I am cha- – this is going to sound weird. I'm challenging him on the corners, and if he walks, he walks. I'm not challenging him to the point where I'm saying, hey, here's my best fastball. What can you do with it? I'm not doing that, but I'm challenging him on the inner half of the plate, and if I hit him, I hit him. I'm not trying to hit him, but so what? And if he walks, he walks, but I'm not throwing stuff in the meat of the plate, and I'm not afraid to walk him, but I'm not just going to give him a pass, unless, of course, there's a guy on second and first base is open. Then, then why mess with it? But I like that Zach acknowledged, hey, there's issues right now, and I haven't carried my weight. All right. The, the next one from Zach is uh, him talking about, this is, this is pretty cool, the last three years of what it's like to be an Arizona Diamondback and talking about coming out of the COVID year and then 2021 losing 110 games. Yeah, I try not to think about two years ago. <laughs> Those are some dark times in Arizona. Um, you know, with me, I was, I was injured um, for a good part of that year and then as a team, it just didn't it didn't turn out the way we wanted to. Um, but yeah, it's it's still surreal. I mean, I it, it kind of started to hit me a little bit on the way to the ballpark today. Um, you know, having the escort here, just thinking like, you know, seven hundred and thirty days ago, whatever it was, like who would have really thought um, we would be here right now, um, this this soon, this quickly. So yeah, it's it's um, I'm just proud of the guys in the clubhouse, the guys that have, that have walked through. The dark times that were here and then the guys the young guys that have come up and just stepped up right away and and kind of inserted themselves into this you know success we're having it's been um it's incredible i hope this is what you want from doug franz unplugged presented by whirlwind golf club at wild horse pass today um because i want to do a lot of deep diamond backs and give you more than anybody else is going to give you i feel like that's why you watch on wtsmtv.com that's why you listen and anywhere else you go, you're going to get little snippets. And the next couple of things are, are, are blocks of Zach Allen. But I think this is important because it's very easy. And I went to some games, and I was just as angry as anybody else. You go to those 100-loss season games, and you walk out of there furious of, how do you not know this? How are you throwing to the wrong base? I mean, I don't care that you're a young team. Didn't you learn this in the minors? Didn't you learn this in college? Didn't you learn this in high school? Why are there so many mistakes being made? different things like that and Zach really opened up about being a 100 loss team and then little by little working to this point of being in the World Series I mean ultimately I think it comes down to just not wanting to experience that again is really what it comes down to um I I watched the Derek Jeter documentary I guess it was this offseason and I remember he talked about that when they lost the World Series I think in 95 maybe and he said, I, I remember getting, or whenever they lost in the playoffs or whatever it was, just like, I remember getting there and 
not wanting to feel that ever again. And I think if you ask a lot of guys that were here in, in 21, even 20 and 19, I mean, those those years, 22 didn't end the way we wanted it to. Um, and I think just if you ask a lot of guys, it's just like you don't want to feel that feeling again. It's losing 110 games. It's not fun coming to the baseball field. Um, and it's supposed to be fun. I mean, it's a game. So I think when, you, when your job becomes a job and it's like, oh, we're just monotonous and we're coming to the field, that's, I think, that's a, a huge motivating factor, I think, for myself. And I think you'd find a similar answer for a lot of guys in there. Was there, was there a moment this year where you realized you were having more fun? Absolutely. I, I always have, I said last year I was having fun coming to the field. Um, even the start of 22, it was like, okay, um, we weren't playing great, but the guys in the clubhouse, it just, there was just a different feel. And then you get that, that just, the young guys started to, to trickle in and they're super close because they've played in the minor leagues together. And there's guys here like myself, Walker, Merrill, um, like Josh Rojas, like guys who were here just wanted to hang out with those guys. And then we just became super close, closer and, and just wanted to do things together. And then this year it was like, everyone was pulling for each other. Um, so yeah, it was just, it, there was, it was a lot more enjoyable to come to the field and, and spend time with those guys. Um, and then, yeah, you just try and go out and win baseball games on top of it. Do you guys hang out more away from the ballpark when you're winning? Uh, I, I mean, I don't know if it's different. I think I think uh, I, I would venture to say that you probably hang out more away f away from the field when you're losing because you're like nobody wants to hang at the field. It's like uh, yeah, it's just like terrible when you come to the field. But yeah, I mean, I think guys just you know hang out and they have their things that they do. And um, I think it's just guys just are super close when they come to the field and they want to hang out and they you know you want to do whatever like just play cards or eat and you know talk junk whatever like it's just yeah one of the things that i loved about that that i i've mentioned just recently but i really haven't given it enough credit is the way zach talked about a lot of the young guys all coming up together and have all played with each other so corbin carroll jake mccarthy alec thomas josh rojas um brandon fought even Kevin Ginkle, they've all come up together. And granted, they've all had spurts where they were really good and then fell back down. But it's neat to hear Zach Allen talk about the infusion of energy in the clubhouse that those guys brought. You hate to say it, but they didn't lose 110 games. They, a lot of them came up later in the year, but they didn't lose 110 games. So it's not the same. And they had a lot more energy coming up and things like that. And I really like that he mentioned Rojas. You know, if, if the Diamondbacks win, Josh Rojas gets a ring. Chris, uh, I almost said Chris Snyder. <laughs> Sorry, going old school there. Carson Kelly gets a ring. Nick Ahmed gets a ring. And, and I'll stand on the table and say Josh Rojas deserves one because if you remember at the beginning of the season, he was the pulse of the team and playing an excellent third base and then just hit an offensive wall deserved to get demoted but when they were playing their best baseball at the beginning of the season in April and May a lot of it had to do with the spirit of Josh Rojas and the pressure he put on the other team and I'll say it the annoyance he brought to the table for uh for the other team all right the next one another a little bit of a long story but I liked it if you listen to Doug Franz unplugged last year when I was just doing the overnight podcast, the Diamondbacks were so good to me, I got to sit in a back room and players came in for longer conversations. 
had a long conversation with Zach Allen about being traded. He went into more detail then than he does here, but I still think if you haven't heard it, it's a pretty good story. He's born and raised in South Philly, but doesn't, or excuse me, in South Jersey, but doesn't love the Phillies, is a Cardinals fan, gets drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals, but then doesn't like the way that they try to talk him into pitching in different leagues where he wasn't getting paid, different uh, fall leagues and things like that. Then they decide in his mind, you're not a team player, so they trade him to Miami. He's moving up the ladder in Miami, finally gets to the major leagues, and then Miami says, never mind, and sends him to Arizona. And he just cared about being in the big leagues and really opens up about the different mindsets he had on his way up the ladder. It, it was kind of odd, honestly. So, you know, I'm, I was in Miami, and I think we were on pace to lose 100 games at that time. Um, I was just happy to be in the big leagues, really. Um, I felt like I was having a really good year in AAA. So I was just I was just happy to get up and finally get to the big leagues and want to be there. And then I get called in the office on July 31st, and it's like, all right, you're going to Arizona. I'm like, we just played them. I don't really know anything about them. I had no idea that they were in the race for the wild card. Um, so I get over to Arizona in 19 and just I think I'm still just trying to like stay in the big leagues. Like I'm not really concerned that they're in the playoffs and things like that. Um, so I think it was almost good that I was not to say ignorant, but just like I have no idea what's going on, added more pressure on myself. And then 20 hits obviously with the COVID year and, and 21 and 20 was a year where the front office went out and added pieces. I mean, we got and get Bum, we got and get Starling Marte and Cole Calhoun and guys like that, and it just it didn't really work out. So I was um, encouraged that all right, we're we're trying to make a run at this thing. Let's just see what happens. And then 21 doesn't work out with injuries and whatnot. And then 22 to kind of have Hayes and Fitz and Amiel be like, we're not going into a full rebuild. We're gonna just try and reload this thing and and shift the mindset a little bit. Um, and he was like, you're going to have to be a little patient, but I'm not, we're not doing that. So for me, that was super encouraging. Um, just knowing that I would be, I don't know, for lack of a better phrase, just a little bit ahead of the timeline of the guys that were coming up. Um, yeah, I mean, but the, the plan has worked out great. I, I told the story in Milwaukee of like, you know, playing, um, Bobby Witt and some young guys. I'm like, where's our guy at? And they told me be patient and, um, you know, speaking at Corbin Carroll and yeah, he's, he's been unbelievable. The, okay, first of all, he made some references to some guys. I, you'll probably know them, but just for those of you that might not, he said Hayes and Fitz and Amiel. Hayes is Mike Hayes and general manager, two lieutenants, Amiel Saude and uh, Mike Fitzgerald. So that, with the three names that he threw out there. Uh, I just like it because I had a great time one time on the old show when Shane Doan filled in for Wolf. And it was so interesting listening to him talk about young players versus veterans and that a young player would like to win. But more importantly to them, they compete against other players on their own team more than they do players on the other team. They go back and look, hey, how much ice time did I get? How much ice time did people, other people on the bench get? Okay, I got more ice time than them. That must mean I'm doing something good. That means I get to stay in the NHL longer. They're competing to stay in the NHL. While a veteran is competing to look at the game plan, understand what their responsibilities are, beat the other team. Of course the young guys want to win. 
But more importantly, they just want to stay in the big leagues. And he actually references that. Hey, I'm just glad I'm in the big leagues. You know, and that's what he was talking about. And that's where you really transition. So think about a Brandon fought throughout this year. His goal has been, I just need to make the big leagues. I just need to get in the big leagues. Now he's actually focused on, hey, I just need to beat the Brewers. I need to beat the Dodgers. I need to beat the Phillies. And he's getting better and better when he's not worried about, am I going to get sent down after this game? He's getting a little better and a little better uh, every time. So I thought that was interesting. Um, now let's talk about motivation. We'll do Zach Gallen and then we'll do manager Tori Lovello. This has been a theme of this entire playoff run for the Diamondbacks is how many people said they're not that good, okay? Cam Cox of 12 News declared them dead in June, in, 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 uh, at the end of June, or no, at the end of July. I said they were dumb for making trades to shore up the bullpen for a team that's going nowhere. And then you have the doubters nationally that said they're not going to do this, not going to do this, not going to do this. So they've been all over. Zach, have you found motivation from the doubters? Yeah, I would say so. I think anybody, I think if you compete, um, if you're in any sort of competitive field and somebody tells you you can't do something um, or they think somebody can do it better than you, I think that's that's kind of a main reason probably why you're where you are today. Um, so, yeah, I think for us, it, it's not necessarily that, I don't know, I'm speaking for me, but like, it, I don't think it was necessarily that people thought that we couldn't do it. It was just that no one expected us to be here. And it was like, we're here. We might as well just see what happens. Let's just, you know, and then, yeah, I mean, you, you find little things along the way that kind of just fire you up and just motivate you really. Um, and we just got guys in there with, with quiet confidence of like, all right, we'll just prove you wrong. Let's just let's see what happens. We know what we can do. Um, we had a really good first half and it's like, we know it's in there. Um, so let's just see what happens. The situation there is I, I like it because he looked at it as, I have motivation, but if you're going to pile on and tell me what I can't do, now I'm more motivated. That's natural for a competitive person. Tori Lovello, how, do you think your team derives some motivation from the mad dogs of the world? Yeah, we, so I want to talk about that one second. Okay. I want to dedicate an entire answer to that, <laughs> that one guy. Um, okay. I think uh, at the end of the day, we're all internally motivated. Like we should be. It's our job to come here and stay motivated and stay focused. And I don't think we need extra, but when you get extra, it's like a glass of iced tea, you add a little bit of honey and a little bit of lemon to it, it tastes perfect. So um, yeah, when we hear those things, they're out there. The social media makes it happen really quick. And it's really my friends and my family that are dropping it in my lap because I don't necessarily, I'm not on social media, I don't read that type of stuff, but. I find it entertaining. I get to it, um, and we just we 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 put it on our 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 list and keep those receipts and walk around a little bit more of a chip on our shoulder, and it gives you a little bit more um, more motivation. And when you can you get a little bit more, you, you take it. And some of those things do really bother me because nobody knows the magic that's sitting inside of that clubhouse right now. Nobody knows what we're capable of doing on a daily basis. Nobody knows how hard we're working to make today happen. Um, and hopefully people start to respect this ball club. They better because we're here and it's real. Um, specifically speaking on Mad Dog, um, Stephen A. Smith, you're my boy. You're my boy. And I need you to hold him accountable, okay? I need you to keep going at him every single day. Don't let it stop. Um, but a deal's a deal. I agree. Like, you got you to gotta 
You can't back out of that one, Mad Dog. You got to do something. I don't know if you're talking about TV, radio, but I do like Howard Stern's thought about walking with a billboard saying that I am um, whatever, a liar and an a-hole in midtown Manhattan for half a day. That'll do it for me, but I ain't going to forgive you until you do something unbelievable. Maybe show up here and say you're sorry to the entire team. Anyways, that's all I want to say about that. I know that I'm right on this. I know that I'm right. Not in Manhattan. Who cares? Why would New Yorkers care about Mad Dog admitting he was wrong about the Diamondbacks? Do it here. If the Diamondbacks win the World Series, do it at the parade. Or just sit on the stage and say nothing. Can you imagine a guy like Mad Dog not being able to talk? Just have him sit up there in the stage with a stupid shirt on. That, that says something ridiculous. And they just have to sit there the whole time and say nothing. And let every member of the Diamondbacks organization that has the microphone say something about Mad Dog if they want to. That's entertaining. And if that doesn't work, then he has to lead a parade for opening day next year if we don't win the World Series. Then he has to walk onto the field and throw out the first pitch wearing a sign. Something like that. See, that's, that's much, his repentance has to come to us. Not to New York. Come on. We're sick of New York. So that's uh, but I do agree. You're already if you're as long as you're already a motivated person, why not find extra motivation? As long as you don't need it, that's the difference. Uh, here's Zach Gallon talking about the team a little bit, and you all know the stat basically. Diamondbacks win games when Gabby Moreno is the catcher, and they lose games when he's not the starter. There you go. So, tell us about Gabby and what he's done for this pitching staff, Zach. Yeah, Gabby's. Uh... Gabby's 23, but I feel like he's 33. Um, just the way he's super cool, super calm, collected. Um, the moment doesn't seem to phase him. Um, and the talent is just off the charts. Um, you know, I, I've, I've kind of had a firsthand seat to see Gabby grow. Um, I think what I saw at the beginning of the year was there was a lot of talent, for sure. Um, and then for Gabby to kind of get over it here and get a lot more comfortable, understand how to handle a pitching staff, calling games and certain things like that um, has been, you know, I can't really describe it. It's It's been fascinating to watch. And, I mean, yeah, like I said, he's 23, and he's looked like he's been here for 10 years now. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been awesome. The, uh, the difference he has made is phenomenal. But what's even more special about Gabby is how quickly he's learned. Remember, this was supposed to be the transition year from Carson Kelly to Gabby. When I say supposed to be, you can say, well, that's exactly what happened. No, not really. It was supposed to be Carson Kelly's the starter, and if at any point Gabby wins the job, fine. But Gabby, you're the backup. Carson Kelly is good at managing a pitching staff. Learn from Carson. Learn the ups and downs of the position. Carson's a better defensive catcher than you are. You've got a better arm, but overall, Carson's better defensively. So just learn. Bam. Carson gets injured in late in spring training by getting hit by a pitch. And now, Gabby, you're the starter, even though we weren't ready for you to be the starter. And all he did was get better to the point that there was no point in having Carson Kelly. Carson came back, didn't produce, and he's out the door because the Diamondbacks won more games when Gabby's behind the plate. They needed that. So that's such a testament to Gabby. Now the flip side is, Zach, the reason why this team is here is the solidification of the bullpen in August. What do you see 
as a guy that's looking at that bullpen every night? I mean, ultimately, those guys are fearless, really. Um, I think you have a lot. Of, I mean, the three of those guys are, are pretty traveled is not necessarily the word I'm looking for, but in the sense of like they've had their adversity as well. I mean, you talk about um, Ryan Thompson gets DFA in the middle of this year and we pick him up. So he's had adversity. So coming in the game, I imagine it's, he's unfazed by that. He's fearless. You have Ken, Kevin Ginkle who comes up in 2019 and is looking like maybe the next closer of the Arizona Diamondbacks coming into 2020. And he struggles in 20 and has some struggles in 21. And even in, in 23, he's down in, in Reno. Uh, maybe not necessarily deserving, but just he was the odd man out in terms of numbers. So another guy that has adversity and comes in and is fearless and, and has kind of found what he's done really well. And then you have Paul Sewald on, you know, he gets traded by a playoff contender. Um, and I know Paul had spent some time in New York before. And it was just like, I mean, I think you see these guys with adversity that, Coming into a game with runners on base um, in a big spot in the season, they've they've had some legit life adversity. That trying to get outs in a baseball game to them is like, all right, like whatever. Let's just I'm gonna make pitches. I know what I do well. I'm gonna I'm pulling for the guys behind me. I know are pulling for me. I'm pulling for them. So yeah, let's just let's just see what happens and make pitches. Um, and like I said earlier, you know, Paul coming in and having that ninth inning, I think really stabilized everyone else in their role in the sense of, all right, you know. Ginkle's not sure where he's going to throw the eighth or the ninth. It's like, no, you're the eighth inning. When this thing gets to the eighth inning, we're winning. You're going to be pitching in the game. So I think just mentally, I, I can't speak too much about the, the mental side down there in the bullpen, but I just know that having a routine and having knowing when you're going to go in the game makes your job a lot easier for sure. I don't want to do a deep dive today because I did it more recently about the way analytics has changed bullpen usage for the worse. For, uh, for the most part. And there he is as a man that's in the ring, in the arena, competing, saying it's really helped that we've been able to establish the roles so everybody knows what to expect. Can I go on a just 15-second rant, okay? Baseball, I love you. I love everything about you. But you're being ignorant fools when it comes to this audio of press conferences. Are you this, really, either you're cheap or stupid. And I know the average fan probably doesn't know what I'm talking about. But did you hear that? That's members of the media passing the microphone around. And it's not their fault. How are you going to get the microphone to somebody else? And I don't want people in the media turning a microphone on and off all the time because they don't know what they're doing either. So you hire an audio guy, and every time the person in the media asks a question, you pot it up. And then every time the guy in the media is done, you pot it down. And then we don't hear any of that anymore. And then with Zach Allen, when he starts talking and it sounds like a balloon screeching, you pot it down. That's called overmodulation. Pay somebody to figure that out. And this has been every single press conference for the entire postseason. I mean, how does somebody not say after the first one, but we didn't do that well, let's get that fixed. Thank you. Every city they've been in, it's been different. I know. It's been a fight, a struggle for me. Every Ugh. single city they've been in. I, it just it doesn't make the ignorance of this or the cheapness. It's one or the other. They're either ignorant fools when it comes to audio or they're too cheap to care. And it's driving me nuts. Okay, thank you. I finished my beer, so I don't have that. Um 
the the next one is this is a hilarious story and i'm sorry that i missed it uh if i did miss it i'll blame steve mccollum and everybody on uh the main event because they're really good at finding these stories and i didn't know that this happened but there's a situation that occurred in which Philly fans were tweeting and DMing Zach Allen and going after him with trash talk. And normally players need to stay away from it. They need to not talk about it. They need they can't respond. Because if you respond, not only do the trolls come back that much harder, but also you're then the only way you trash talk the fans is in a sense you're trash talking the organization. And there's no reason for Zach Allen to trash talk the Philadelphia Phillies as an organization. Well, he meant this as only trash against the fans. However, uh, the Phillies noticed. What did he do? In response to a bunch of fans ripping him, he tweeted them the Phillies 2024 spring training schedule. (laughs) It's, It's basically, oh, oh, what's that? You better not be talking to me. You better get ready to play the Pirates in spring training in Clearwater or something like that. I mean, that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So, Zach was asked about it, and you can tell as soon as the question came out, he was like, oh, I was hoping nobody would notice that. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is be the only time I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address that. But for me, that was just... Um you know, growing up in that in that area and and knowing how the Philly fans operate, um, I don't know. I just there was there was a lot a lot of mentions of people in in my DMs and stuff like that. So I figured, you know, they were they were talking they were talking junk. Um, so I just figured if they want to, you know, talk junk to me, I'll just I'll say one back. Um, and I feel like being from there, I knew how to hit them the hardest. Uh, so that was my thought. Um, but yeah, that's that's the end of that. This is this is a new thing that's that's over with. Um, it's it's Thursday, day before the World Series. So um, moving on. <laughs> Come on. No, that's good. That's good. Uh, highly entertained by that because it is funny. But look at it from a Phillies point of view. If you're the actual organization, it's like, hey, jerk. You know, but I get it, and it's exactly what you did need to do to Philly fans. So that was uh, that was pretty strong. Speaking of trash, just to let you know this, uh, this is kind of hilarious. Some Dodgers group has gotten a hold of um, my beer video of me downing the three beers, and I keep getting ripped by uh, by them. Oh, look at this! Uh, the main event just email uh, just tweeted me. I brought it up yesterday. Sending the spring training, so you can't blame us for not listening. Good rip job right there. I, I that's a little trash from eight to ten at six to eight, and you know it's totally deserved. Totally deserved. Um, I, I might have been on the phone when he was talking about it though, because I listen and watch the main event while I sit in my uh, in my in my office. Um, so that's kind of uh, uh, entertaining. So. Anyway, I, I get all of these tweets from people that have watched it as a Dodgers fan. So, uh, Andrew, what a clown. Okay, good trash right there. You guys are really good at trash talk. Um, Joe said, I hope you end up demolishing your liver for this, liberal. <laughs> I have no idea how, what political persuasion you think I am that fits into that. Uh, Kimberly, I hope the Texans... Uh, let me see if I is that the- shock factor. I don't want shock factor. I want that one. There you go. She says, uh, "I hope Texas kicks the out of your team." 
all that because I was drinking uh, beer. What? What? An, oh, here you go. What an hole. Now I'm pulling for Texas. I mean, I got all of these things from Dodger fans everywhere because I drink beer. So that's kind of uh, highly uh, entertaining to me that they're that uh, wrapped up into my beer drinking that suddenly they didn't care, but now they do. Uh, that's that's good. Now, one guy was really bent at me because I said the Dodgers don't have any championships. That's a fair rip because I was a little thrown by that that first beer. <laughs> I was like, wow. I, I wasn't. I, I can do that with one beer all the time. That wasn't. That wasn't that impressive to me. It was more of in my head. I'm thinking, am I really going to be able to get through these other two? Because I, I, I've never done that with. I've never done it with two beers. I've impressed people all the time whoosh, and and thrown one down. My grandpa supposedly is faster than me. I've heard stories and I've seen it once on some old video of him drinking a beer and it's like the man had no Adam's apple and it just went zoonk and it was just gone. It was like, it was basically pouring it into a bucket. It just went down so fast. I am so jealous of that talent. I mean, that is cool. So I knew I could go with one and I knew I could impress people with the first one. But if you watch that video again, did you notice how slow the second one goes down? <laughs> That's a little more difficult. Uh, so, therefore, when I was talking about the Dodgers, I didn't say it well enough. I wanted it to say, since the Diamondbacks became a team, it's one nothing in championships. We have one, you have none. Because I'm only counting when you actually play a regular season in front of fans because we know Dave Roberts can't win in pressure situations. Look how many times he choked. So that one doesn't count. So I wanted to say that, and I did not say that. I just said it's one to nothing. So this guy's all mad. It's seven to one. You know, something all, all bent and angry, uh, wanting to argue championships. Okay, fine. You have championships before the Diamondbacks started. That makes sense to compare. That makes sense. Truthfully, if you count 2020, it's tied one to one. It's tied one to one. So deal with it, Dodger fan. I'm entertained. You're not. Um, that's all of the uh, Zach Allen. Let's get into more of the Tory. And other than Tory four so that we've already played, uh, Jeff Weir production. I'll just go straight down. One, two, three. Uh, this is Tory about the honor it is for him to go up against Bruce Bochy, and it's a pretty good story. Bruce Bochy is moving on from his job as the San Francisco Giants manager, and at the end of his last regular season. Tori Lovello had a conversation with him, and this is some pretty cool insight into what Tori thinks of Boach. Well, first of all, um, he is a definite Hall of Fame manager. Um, I always find it the most um, a very humbling experience to be in the same building as him. And you know, I've I've said it since the time he was in San Francisco that after a game, um, when I'm done managing my team against his team, I'm, I'm exhausted. You just can't miss anything. He is all over everything that you're trying to do on a, on a moment to moment basis. And it can be a big challenge. Um, the beauty of it too, is that he manages off the scoreboard, right? I've got a card in front of me. I've got all sorts of stuff that I can look at and, and I keep, I keep my dugout card. He's just going off of his instincts and what's going on on the scoreboard. So to me, that's amazing. He is an unbelievable human being. I remember um, at his, at when I presented his gift to him at home plate, when he was stepping away from the Giants, I just said, you know, it's been an absolute honor to manage against you. I hope you find your way back to doing this one day. And he says, well, I'm tired right now. 
if I do, it will be an honor to be managing against you as well. So I couldn't believe that he said that to me. Um, I was just honored to be in his presence and I will be for these next nine days. That's maybe you think that's boring, but that's, that's cool. But I also use that little piece of sound to kind of stare down Tori a little bit and say, Tori, don't you see how successful Bruce Bochy has been by using analytics as a guide? Okay, I know what the matchup says, but this is what I'm seeing, so this is what I'm going with. I don't think you can't do it, Tori. I don't think you've allowed yourself to do it. You're so Im- you know, almost imprisoned by the numbers that you've got to have your card. And I think it handcuffs you. And I'll never forget what Tony LaRusso used to say. Another 2,000-win manager. Dusty Baker, a 2,000-win manager who doesn't, who barely uses analytics and argued with the analytics uh, group all the time in, in his own staff. But Tony LaRusso used to say, I want to manage against the heavy analytic manager because then I know what he's going to do because I, I have the same numbers. Now, I'm a little careful because, Tony, I love you. I still think you were nuts for walking a hitter when it's a one-two count. I, I still, I mean, you just, you can't convince me that was the right decision. You can't convince me of that. And I know you'll always be smarter than me. Always. Uh, next one for Tori is, I think this is important. Jeff Bannister was a longtime member of the Rangers organization, and now he's the bench coach for the Arizona Diamondbacks and a member of the uh, Texas media asked Tori, what does Bannister mean? And I think this is important for us as Diamondbacks fans because how do we know what the bench coach really does? And now I can tell you what the standard bench coach does. The standard bench coach is always providing ideas. Always think, hey, what about a squeeze here? What about this? What about this? What about this? Their job is to almost manage like a nut job. Come up with crazy scenarios to force the manager to think about different things that could happen. In-game strategy. But then their job is to almost be like, if there was a position above head coach, it's like the manager is above the head coach, but the bench coach is kind of the head coach. Hey, guys, come on. We're going to go out here. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. You're setting up drills. You're setting up actions. You're setting up the, the work, the, the whatever the drills are going to be, stuff like that. That's kind of you. Now, the manager's just going to tell you this is what I want, but the, the, the bench coach is more in everybody's face all the time. So this is Tori being asked, what has Banny done for the organization? He probably has been the best thing that's ever happened to me in my in my managerial career. I've had some unbelievable people around me um, that have helped teach me, drive me, um, posture me. Jeff Bannister has has changed our culture in every way that we have wanted him to help and assist in that way. He fills in the gaps, fills in my personality gaps. That's the first thing. Um, and at times, I feel like he does a better job than me. You know, so you know you're in good hands when the person, your first lieutenant does things at a better clip than you. He gives me the freedom to, to roam. And I feel like that's what that's where I'm at my best. While while the drills are taking place for pregame, while the day is being set up, I can step away from that responsibility and watch it from afar and then sit in my office for 20 extra minutes to have certain meetings with certain players about how we're going to push along. But Jeff has, for me personally, filled in my gaps. Um, I tend to be a little... Um, a little dry and simple in, in one space. 
he's taught me to open up my my perspective a little bit challenge players the right way by saying the right thing at the right time and i certainly know that if i'm not he will be doing that if there's one person that i could um ever hope would get back in a managerial seat to be jeff banister he deserves another opportunity i'm sure that's coming Uh, I thought that was pretty detailed to get the lesson of how important the bench coach is. And I think it goes to a little bit of the point that I have been making for years. I like Tori Lovello, the man, a lot. But I don't think he does a good enough job of holding players accountable. I don't mean this mean. I think he's soft. And, and usually soft means you're not a tough person. I don't mean that at all. Okay, Tori Lovello is a human being is a tough person. But Tori Lovello, as a leader, I think he tries to convince people on what's right versus leading, getting it right while leading and have people fall in line because they realize, wow, wherever you take us, we're going. Dwight Eisenhower leads, people followed, and wow, that was a good plan. We just won, you know? Ulysses S. Grant leads. Wow, that was a good plan. I realize now why we did that. I didn't know why we did it at first. Now I know because it worked. So you follow because the leader is almost always right. Tory's not like that. Tory tries to convince you that he's right to get you on his side. And sometimes, he does, to me, he doesn't stand up to people enough and bark at the team when it needs it. And... That's important to hear that Jeff Bannister was the guy that kind of filled that in. But it still shows the week, those six weeks is still on Tory for not dropping the hammer a little sooner than he did. But they did turn it around with the bullpen trade, and Tory finally was getting a little tougher. So I, I like that, and I thought that was really important. Um, the last one from Tory is the Paul Seawall trade enormous okay enormous put him in at closer and now everybody finds their role but do not forget we are not here if it isn't for the abilities of Kevin Ginkle to lock down the eighth inning Kevin Ginkle is the stud that has changed everything because he's not pitching like he used to and it's a fascinating story with Kevin Ginkle coming up as a rookie and shocking the world with how good he was and then flat out falling on his face for a couple years. And now it seems like magically he's back. So it's almost the where has he been? Why did it take so long? And what did you say? And we get some inside information about Kevin Ginkle that hasn't been made public before. I think the back half of that question, I think – you know, every player when they perform, unfortunately it's a performance-based industry, and especially when you're driving down towards the stretch drive of the season, you want to have guys you can turn to and count on that have the right heartbeat, that they can go out there and execute in a time of crisis or um, be able to execute in the most critical moment of, this, of, of the at-bat. And Kevin started to do that from mid-season on. Um, and I've had some difficult conversations with Kevin Ginkle over the past four years. There's no doubt about it. You know, he... He and that's why you're in my trust because of the way he was able to control his heartbeat and execute. Um, four years ago, he came on in 19, and we I think we won 85 or 86 games, and he put us in that position. He enabled us to put Archie Bradley on the back half. He started to uh, or the very back half of, of that ninth inning. He started to um, earn his way into the back half of the game because of his ability to execute the same way we've seen it. 
I think he got hurt. I think he got banged up. I think he got injured and he just couldn't finish his pitches. Instead of pitches taking off and exploding at the zone, they were starting to roll up there. And um, he learned a valuable lesson. Speak up when you're banged up and get taken care of and not try to pitch through it. And it cost him a little bit of time. I think at one point in time, he was taken off of the 40-man roster. He was exposed to every team in the major leagues and nobody, nobody picked him up. And he fell back into our lap and we rehabbed him to the point where he got healthy and started to have a lot of success. And he had a lot of sponsors uh, at the beginning of last year when he came on board and we could see that things were starting starting to flush pretty good for him. And um, he's taking it off, taking off from there. So it's really the finish of his pitches, his ability to pound the zone, and he's got a nasty breaking ball that he's not afraid to throw at any time. Good run down there. Okay, last thing, let me get you set up for tonight. Game one. World Series, Arizona Diamondbacks' first pitch at 5.03. You know all about Zach Gallen. The person that will throw that first pitch is Nathan Iovaldi. Iovaldi, okay pitcher for a few years. Got a lot of fame for the with the Boston Red Sox uh, midway through his career when the Red Sox actually lost a game in Dodger Stadium, but it became the longest game in World Series history both time-wise and the amount of innings. And Eovaldi, I'd have to look it up. I don't remember the number, but he pitched about five and two-thirds innings of extra innings when the Red Sox had nobody else. They literally had nobody else that could have pitched uh, other than tomorrow's starter, which they weren't going to use. And Eovaldi just hung in there, and yes, eventually the Dodgers won, but it saved the entire bullpen for that game and allowed the Red Sox to go on and win. Well, he had a before he was a uh, before he was a Red Sox. He had a kind of career involvement. So early in his career, he's he's a big changeup guy, big changeup guy. Spends two years with the Yankees. Year one, heavy changeup like normal. They talk him out of using the changeup. So he used to be fastball slider changeup and a lot of sliders, a lot of sliders. And the Yankees said, you know what? Your fastball is is good enough. Quit messing around with this slider. Your slider's not good enough. Your change isn't good. And his second year with the Yankees, he stopped throwing the changeup. And to my knowledge, he's never thrown a changeup again. What he did is he moved to a split finger to use as his off-speed pitch. And he throws his split finger pitch at different speeds. And does a great job of making it look like the fastball. If you don't know what that means, it's really important that almost every pitch appears like your fastball. Every pitch is coming out of the same arm angle. If you throw it overhand, if you throw it a little bit three quarters, the key is every pitch comes out the same way. I don't know why I'm breaking off curveballs as I sit here, but, but you throw it like that, okay? The split finger comes out just like the fastball. And then right when it gets to the plate, whoop, it goes down. And the hope is you hit the top of the ball and get ground outs. Well, it doesn't work if the batter knows the fastball isn't coming. If the fastball is coming, well, the batter's ready for that fastball and all of a sudden the ball disappears. And it's either a swing and a miss or it's a grounder. If the batter knows the split finger is coming, he can relax a little bit. In the old days, you would actually take a step up in the batter's box. Nobody moves in the box anymore. But it used to be if you thought the split was coming, you'd take one kind of step closer to the pitcher and try to hit it before the drop. 
Now people don't do that. But with the uppercut swing, it's really hurt some split finger pitches because you're getting underneath that drop and it almost is like it drops on your bat. So that's his split finger. And then he also, in his second year with the Yankees, moved to a heavy cut. And now he's got a cut fastball. The cut fastball, what it really does, and it's a real pain right on right, okay? If a right-handed pitcher throws it to the right-handed batter, a cut fastball looks like it's meat. It looks like you are going to crush this pitch. And right at the last second, right when you're about ready to barrel it up, and I mean hit it square on the barrel of the bat, it moves away from you. It doesn't dart. It just moves enough away from you that suddenly you hit the end of the bat. And when you hit the end of the bat, that's why you break your bat. Because you're swinging, and as you're swinging, you're creating so much force and tension that when the ball hits the end of the bat, instead of all of the force going from barrel of bat to ball, the force is absorbed right in the middle of the bat, and the middle of the bat can't take it. All of that force... Yeah, I'm going to use my pen as a bat. All of that force coming to this end while you're pushing your hand end at the ball so hard and the ball hits the end of the bat so bad, you can see it starts bending and all of the force is right in the middle of the bat. Boom, the bat snaps. That's a cutter. So Eovaldi became heavy cutter, heavy split. The key for the Diamondbacks, and it's going to be difficult, is to really recognize quickly and do their film study. If you get an early fastball, you do want to jump on it. Okay? You do want to jump on early fastballs. But if you start chasing, you're a dead duck. You've got to recognize that pitch and make him throw more fastballs. And he doesn't want to throw fastballs. So you've got to be able to recognize that split and that curve. Or excuse me, that split and that um, cutter. He does have a slider, but he doesn't throw it as much. He hasn't thrown a changeup in about eight years. He does have a curveball, but he barely mixes it in. Do you mind if I cheat? He is throwing his curveball. This year, he was down to 13% curveballs. Only 4% sliders. Now, he might try to fool everybody with some sliders today, but I don't think so. With the fact that the Diamondbacks have only seen the Rangers four times and Eovaldi once, just stick to his normal game plan until they get up there. But that's going to be the key that you're going to want to watch for today. How many broken bats? How many first pitch fastballs can the Diamondbacks actually hit? And if they don't hit that first pitch fastball, can they be patient? Can they wait and make him throw fastballs, lay off the split, lay off the cutter? Those are going to be the big, uh, the big questions that, uh, that the Diamondbacks have. If they can do it, they can steal game one. But game one's, in my opinion, going to be the toughest game out of all of them. One of the better pitchers in the league, and Zach Allen still scuffling a little bit. So that's what I'm watching for today. All right, that's it for a deep dive into Diamondbacks. You still won't believe how much I still want to do. I want to talk Jed Fish. I want to talk Kenny Dillingham. I want to talk Cardinals. we got a lot to do. Let's do Cardinals next. My name's Doug Franz. Thanks for watching Doug Franz Unplugged on WTSMTV.com. We're presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. And if you listen to the podcast, Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, thanks very much. Think about moving over and start watching us on TV. You can use the code UNPLUGGEDUPGRADE if you'd like to stay on as a basic member. No secret, I feel like I didn't, you know, help the guys that much. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking to try and pull my weight. It's hot. We've had a pretty hot summer. 
here in Arizona. Who can you trust with your air conditioning? There's only one place my family has ever trusted in Arizona, and that's Parker and Sons, heating, cooling, plumbing, and electrical. Call 602 to repair. That's 602, the number two, then R-E-P-A-I-R for Parker and Sons. And the reason why I suggest them to you as passionately as I possibly can is I know they've showed up on time to my home every time, and they've gotten it right the first time every time, and they've treated me fairly every time. What else can you say? Plus, they don't charge anything for nights, weekends, emergencies. That means something, because when your air conditioner goes out in the summer in Arizona, that's an emergency. You need repairs fast, and you can trust Parker and Sons. How do I know? Because my family does. 6022 repair. That's 602, the number two, then R E P A I R for Parker and Sons. Rosati Sports Pub in Chandler. It's on Ray and McQueen. Sounds like a sports bar. What's the difference? You walk in and they actually have games on TV with the sound on. How many times do you walk into a supposed sports bar and they've got loud music on or somebody playing live or some kind of trivia game going on and you're there to watch the game? If you're like me, a simple guy, give me my pizza, give me my wings, give me my cold beer and make sure I can hear the Suns and D-backs, then you want Rosati Sports Pub at Chandler. All members of the Unplugged Army, welcome. Rosati Sports Pub, give me the game. event coming up 8 to 10 and free plug for what Steve has going on today because I just saw it (laughs) Farmer Braxton sent me a tweet knowing that I think the funniest thing in the world is when people fall down and he sent me a tweet a video of a guy stepping on a football and falling down I don't want to play it for you now if you are a member of the Unplugged Army hey just do me a favor and make sure you stick around and watch Steve McCollum because Steve said in a tweet that he's going to be showing that today on his show but I just saw and it's just a kid running to go pick up a fumble and for some reason he doesn't go down early enough to pick up the fumble and he just steps on the ball and I mean both feet go up and he lands flat on his back but it's an illegal kick you're not allowed to kick the ball with your foot past the line of scrimmage you got to do behind the line of scrimmage to punt or have a field goal and so it's it's in a it's a good call by the ref who throws the flag but it's just it's really great so just know, as soon as Steve McCullough gets to that video today, I'll be losing it. Well, let's do Cardinals. They're up against the Ravens, 125. I don't have the courage to do it on this one, I got to tell you. But I, I admit to you, this is the type of game where you normally see upsets. When a team dominates a good team, like the Ravens did to the Lions, then they go on the road to take on a terrible team I guarantee you, you're not as focused. It just happens. And then you're playing a Cardinals team. The catch is, there's no way I'm actually going to do it because if the Cardinals are averaging one point per fourth quarter, did you know that? That's how bad it is. They average one point every fourth quarter they play in. How are they going to be good enough to win three quarters and then hold on for dear life without scoring? So I'm not picking an upset here. I didn't pick the Cleveland Browns upset of San Francisco. I picked it with the uh, points, and then I said, hey, you might want to consider doing a, a picking an upset here because this is the exact type of game where you see upsets. I'm going to say the same thing. Cardinals game is the exact type of game that you see upsets, but you're not going to get me to believe in that team with so many meltdowns that I've seen so far. Show me you've got something before I'm going to stick my neck out. 
Let's get to the defense. I like this from Buddha. He doesn't I wish he would have went a little deeper. But he was asked, what does he do to help the young guys on the field before the snap? What is his pre-snap focus and how does he work? What's the process of getting guys lined up? Yeah, you know, I kind of pride myself on, uh, you know, understanding the defense, understanding, you know, the the pros and cons of what the, um, you know, defense can do and the defensive play call and also kind of what the offense is trying to do. So for me, first and foremost, is get the call, understand the call, get it from Kaiser and uh, communicate that call with the, you know, the uh, corners or nickel or uh, to the wheel linebackers, to the mic. And after that, it's just uh, kind of just play football from there, you know, uh, you guys know me, you know, I, I kind of just run to the ball each and every play, no matter if it's on my side or not on my side. And, um, you know, I, I just, you know, kind of take pride in understanding that, you know, um, my my position is almost most likely every single time is the last line of defense. If I'm in the post or um, if I'm on the backside, I got to, you know, be that 21 guy and uh, run to the ball. So, um, you know, it's just kind of understanding the game and then, you know, uh, just reacting off of that. I have heard him go deeper, and I wished he would have because I'm fascinated by his football IQ, and you always learn something when he goes into it. But that's something to start paying attention to to see how much he does if you're a Cardinals fan, and especially if you go two games, it's going to be easier for you to see it. Of after you see whoever's wearing the green dot, Kaiser White for the the, the Cardinals, after he relays the play call to everybody on the defense, watch how much Buddha does and all the communication he does from that point forward. Um, one of the big storylines from last week was Garrett Williams playing the nickel, a position where uh, as nickel corner, where he was being trained for it, but then you know hasn't played much, and then boom, played every snap at nickel corner. What were your communications with him like? What did you see from Garrett Williams? Yeah, I definitely think he's a, uh, you know, great, great young rookie, a guy who wants to understand each and every, the ins and outs of the nickel position, but also, you know, all DBs. And he's a guy we can, you know, put anywhere on the field. And, uh, you know, that's definitely special being a rookie and kind of understanding football. He's very smart. Um, he asks questions if he doesn't really know. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a student of the game. So, um, you know, Garrett is going to be a special player for the Arizona Cardinals. I'm sorry. I just laugh at the kid falling. Again, great call by the official. If you kick a ball after the line of scrimmage, it becomes a dead ball. Not a lot of people know that. It's 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 a dead ball. I don't know why because it's in a sense a fumble, but the ball becomes dead as soon as it's, it's kind of weird uh, that way. But it, it's a, treated as a fumble in the sense of wherever the ball was lost, the ball goes back there, and then or a five yard penalty from the spot of the kick. Very very strange play. Again, you got to watch Steve McCollum today in the main event when he gets to this because it's uh, it's hysterical. Uh, let's get to Drew Pitzing. Let's talk offense now against the Baltimore Ravens and what they've got to do to be able to get a win. Uh, I thought Keontae Ingram was going to have a really good season this year. I don't mean like all pro or anything like that. I just mean a good season as a backup running back. And I was right for the first few games. But with Connor getting hurt, there hasn't been Ingram. Now, Ingram was hurt for a little bit too. But they're obviously much more impressed with Demarcado and what, what he's doing 
And it was a question that was asked to, to Drew Petzing of what's happened here? What's happened to Keontae Ingram? Very fluid situation. I mean, he certainly, I thought he was playing at a high level, uh, had some explosive runs, uh, showed some dynamic ability. So we kind of rode the hot hand in the game, but it's very much a week-to-week matchup-based, scheme-based in terms of what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. So uh, very fluid. In other words, DeMarcado took the job. It's funny, Drew Pensing never says anything, but I'm still fascinated by the way he tries to hide information. That's why I like to play some of the things uh, that he says. Uh, I, I do like this level of accountability, though, which is simply, Coach, the passing game hasn't been doing well. How do you make it better? I call a better plays. Uh, you know, I think I got to find ways to make sure I'm putting the right guys in position to make plays, uh, making sure it's clean for the quarterback, uh, making sure that we're attacking what the defense has given us. So, you know, I think a lot of that falls on me. I certainly got to be better in a lot of areas. Uh, and then in terms of uh, execution, uh, you know, making the right decision, putting the ball where it needs to be placed, pass protection, being at the right depth. I think all of that plays into it. But, I, I, you know, I'm going to start myself and make sure that I'm doing everything I can to give those guys the, right, the chance to be better. A lot of times fans fall on the play-calling sword. As soon as things go, well, it's play-calling. Well, it's play-calling. Well, it's play-calling. It really depends on a lot of different things. Like take Kenny Dillingham for an example. If you don't have the players, then you have this weird straddle that you've got to do. Like you might have the experience to know my left tackle is not good enough to block their defensive end. However, I can't have a whole game where I'm sending three guys to help him. Okay, I can't, I can't do it. I've got to try to get lucky. You hate to say it, but you've got to try to get lucky a couple times. So every play, you're not, you're not going to have three guys over there. Because once you do that, you're going to have problems elsewhere. So sometimes you just try to sneak stuff through. You try to get away with it. Yet... I remember in the Ken Wisenhunt era, it did used to drive me crazy with some of his play calls where that guy can't do that. Quit asking him to do that. And Ken Wisenhunt, in my opinion, his opinion of the play was, this was the play that was called. This guy did get open, so therefore I called a good play. The play worked. Well, how much yards did you get? Well, it was an incomplete pass. Quarterback had to throw it away to avoid the sack. Well, then the fight didn't work. Yes, it did. The guy's wide open. You know, and that, now, did I ever talk with him about this? No. Okay, I don't want to make it sound like Ken Wisenhunt and I are, are arguing in the street corners or something like that. But that's how I felt about some of the play calling then. So the catch is individual matchups. Are you putting p- players in positions to be able to succeed? And then are they succeeding? Are you believing in somebody too much? Are you not giving people the right opportunity? Did you make a great play call against that defense with the wrong offense in or with the wrong formation in? Different things like that. There's so much that goes into it. So I appreciate the accountability of Drew Petzing. But to me, play calling has been like the least biggest problem of the Arizona Cardinals offense. If you call the right play and Dobbs hits the coach with the pass because he overthrew it so bad, that ain't on the coach because that's the best quarterback you got. And no, you're not going to start calling plays and say, well, we're just going to run the ball every time because he can't complete passes. You know, you just got to call what you call in that sense. So I appreciate the accountability, but I don't think play calling is a problem for the Arizona Cardinals. There are times I disagree. Yeah, of course. But I don't think it's been a problem. Um, another one from from Drew is um, – oh, wait a minute. Wait, I'm so sorry. <laughs> this is kind of hilarious. Don't play number three. 
I told I told Jeff here production. I want one, two, three, four, five, and eleven. Well, here's what's funny. For for comment number three, I wrote no on my notes, meaning I don't want it. But then since I had it numbered, I just told you I want three. I don't want three. So no to three. Give me uh, Petzing for the uh, running back choice and how choosing whether you're going with DeMarcado or whether you're going with um, – um, I don't know why all of a sudden I, I blanked on Keontae Ingram or whether you're going with Ingram. How much of that is hot hand and how much is it game plan going in that this back matches up with this team's off uh, team's defense? Good question. I think, and again, it, it is so week to week and hey, what type of schemes do we feel like? Is it a wide zone game, a tight zone game, a gap scheme game? You know, certain guys are better in certain areas or have a little bit more juice. And then I think you go into the game with a plan, but depending on how guys play early in the game, they may end up getting more reps or more carries because of their performance. So I think it's a combination of Hey, what offensive runs do we want to emphasize? And we think that we have some guys that do well. Uh, how does pass protection play into that based on defensive pressures, uh, things that they give us that could be an issue that put that guy in a tougher spot? Um, and then kind of just the flow of the game. I'd say those three areas and those kind of hopefully give you a little bit more drilled down on what two of those three areas can be. I laugh at what he said because he put all of these complicators into it, but it's basically we think DiMarcato is better than Ingram right now. That's it. But he acted like all these other factors go into it. Well, they do if you think the other guy, if you think the two guys are equal, but you clearly you don't. So it's not all of those other things. Um, the uh, the next one is I love the bluntness of this commercial. Uh, commercial this question. Somebody just asked, and I'm sorry I don't remember who it is, just said, uh, what's with the second half and the lack of production, uh, especially in the fourth quarter? What, what, what do you need to do to fix it? Absolutely. I think that's a big part of the communication during the week is critical. You know, because you never want to got to walk out on the field and play a lot more than he expected or a lot less than he expected. Um, and they also understand, hey, it is fluid and things do change. But here's kind of the plan, and then knowing that the plan can change. I mean, the reality too is injuries happen, so you know it can change the third play of the game or the first play of the game. But yes, definitely need to communicate that and make sure everybody's on the same page going into Sunday. Jeff Weir production played the right one, and I told him the wrong one. I'm going to take a wild guess. I'm hate to I hate to admit this. That probably means, since I thought that was cut five, because that's in my notes that it's cut five, that that means when that quote played during the press conference, I might have fallen asleep for 45 seconds, and then the next one played, and I thought, oh, that's it. That's what I want. So is it is it impossible for you to get Petsing six out right now? No, it'll take me just, I don't know, 30 seconds or so. Well, let's, let's do that. Um, now, full disclosure, I don't even know if that's the right one either. <laughs> because <laughs> I don't know how long did I sleep because clearly that's what happened my notes say number five but that means that was the fifth question I heard not the fifth question that was asked <laughs> so you get to see Doug Franz unplugged up in flames let me see I've got six up uh, uh, I, I don't even think six is right let's try seven that's not right <laughs> All right, I don't even want it then. You slept longer than you thought. Yeah, I don't even want it. I, I missed like four questions. So now let's go. Let's skip all the way to number eleven, and uh, and and just get eleven. Great setup for a for a question that I don't know when it was asked. Uh, number eleven, however, I like it because it's it's simple and to the point as well. 
give me the thing you're most proud of, you're most confident in, what you're seeing that you would say is the number one piece of consistency with the Cardinals offense right now. Two things that, that I think I'm really proud of. One is the effort and the engagement from the guys. You know, I think regardless of score, regardless of the outcome, those guys are playing until the final whistle in every game, which is something that we certainly emphasize in a major way in the room. Uh, I think it's what gives you the opportunity to be in games and to stay in games, late in games. Um, and I think we've run the ball really well. And I think it takes all 11 to do that, including the quarterback, certainly. Um, the offensive line, the runners, guys blocking on the perimeter, the tight ends. So certainly that's something we're proud of. We need to continue to do well, and it's not going to be easy because if you do something well in this league, people are going to adjust and try to take it away. So we need to continue to do that. And I think as we talked about kind of in the passing game, we know there's some areas we need to improve. Interesting game. Ravens have a really good front seven. They will take away that run game. We haven't said this all year. The only way that Cardinals win is if Dobbs beats the defense and is able to pick out the pockets of where he can complete passes. The only way the Cardinals win is if Dobbs is accurate. And guess what his biggest weakness, in my opinion, has been all year? His accuracy. So it's, that's going to make it very tough to be able to pull off uh, the upset. All right, that's it for Cardinals. Coming up next, I'm going to slam together ASU and U of A and – I think Jed Fish, uh, you know what? I'll just play it for you. You tell me what you think. Is he about to make his biggest mistake or his biggest gutsy move he's ever done? That's next. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass on WTSMTV.com. Burrito Express started with my father about... 25 years ago, he got laid off and decided that he needed to do something to provide for his family. My brother and I were older teens, 17, 18 year old. And I'm going to do a trial out of my house. So literally we decided we're going to start out of his house. So we delivered uh, menus in a square mile area, literally started delivering burritos out of our home in Mesa, Arizona. And after about a month, he said, let's do this. Went and found his first location. And believe it or not, that's how it started. We started with one location back in 1995. Now we're where we are now it's big it's juicy it's meaty get your burrito at burrito express if you're having a hangover a bad day even a good day still get your burrito at burrito express it will make you feel better let's start with u of a first of all hi Unplugged at Whirlwind.com. Unplugged at Whirlwind.com. Website. Become a Whirlwind Plus member. Want to pay monthly? Great. $34 a month. Want to pay yearly? It's even cheaper. Save $100, $299 a year. Um, you will not get a membership group into a better club for a cheaper price at $299. Now, what do you get when you do it? 15% off the 19th hole at Civlik. 15% off anything you purchase at the Pro Shop. And you can make your tee time within five days of your tee time of the day that you want to golf. And whatever day you're choosing, you get the lowest rate that day. So let's say it's in the middle of spring training. Oh my gosh, is it expensive to golf in spring training? It's about $220 a round. But that's in the heart of the morning and in the early part of the day. Well, then later on in the day when they start charging less, you can say, I want a mid-morning tee time and I want to pay the rate that people are paying later in the day. You might save 100 bucks a round. You spent $300 to be on the plan. You play four times a year, you've already made your money back. It's To play that level of a course for that price, 
If you're a golfer, jump on it. And even if you're not a golfer, you'll save enough money if you start going to Civic and you do some Christmas shopping for golfers. Heck, you might even just do your Christmas shopping in November this month, pay the $34 and go into the pro shop, spend money. The golfer in your life is happy and you just made money in a sense. Just an opinion. I want to talk to U of A first. Uh, Jeff Weir Production, I'm going to go um, one, three, two, four. One, three, two, four. One, three, two, four. One, three, two, four. Got and uh, the reason why is I really want to get to the quarterback situation. But I, I like the way Jed Fish opens up all of his pressers. And if you're a U of A fan, I just want to give you the open so you feel like anybody else in the media. Um, well, uh, got a big game coming up on Saturday. Excited about uh, the opportunity we have here in Tucson uh, to have the 11th ranked team in the country here. They are uh, they're playing outstanding football. Won 16 out of the last 20 games. And uh, sitting here at 6-1 and one this year. And uh, two teams coming off buys. So two teams that are ready to roll, two teams that are excited, healthy. And um, I think it should be a great football game. Uh, love to see the place get sold out. Love to see a great crowd on Saturday evening. I know it's another 7.30 kickoff this week and again next week. And uh, apologize to you guys in advance that you might have to be up there late writing. But um, hopefully one of these days we'll get an early kickoff. It will be good for our kids be good for the families, good for our fans, good for recruits. But uh, we will play when they tell us to play, and we'll play our best game on a Saturday evening. I think that guy's totally legit. Totally legit. I mean, I realize you might say, I don't care about some guy writing. That's their job. Right. Okay, but you don't want to be doing your job on a Saturday night past midnight because the Pac-12 has a terrible television deal, and yet you have to because they don't know what they're doing. And this is a game between a team that's rising in Arizona, and even though it's the Tucson market, you know there's U of A grads in Phoenix, so you can still include the Phoenix market against a top 15 team. But because Corvallis is small and Tucson is small, the Pac-12, eh, we're just going to put you at the end of the day. Just a mistake. This is going to be a really good game. All right, here's the one. I'll give you my opinion on this in a second. But I don't want to get in the way of you just listening to it and hearing Jed Fish. Jed, where are you at right now with your quarterback situation and who's going to be the starter? Yeah, I'm going to keep that till game time right now. I think, uh, I think they're both ready to play, though. I think they're both ready to play. And um, we'll have to see... Um, you know, how it's all going to end up. But right now, they're both going to be dressed, both going to be participating in warm-ups and both uh, prepared regardless of who goes in. All right, how do you read into that? It's the first time where he didn't just stand up I would say any coach didn't stand up and declare your injured starting quarterback is healthy and he's back and therefore he's the starting quarterback. If you if it's important to you to establish Jaden Delora as your starting quarterback, wouldn't you have said right then and there, Jaden Delora is the starting quarterback? However, does he think the crowd, the fan base, their excitement will be to see Jaden Delora back on the field? So he wants to fool Oregon State and not tell them. It's Jaden Delora. 
So he doesn't want Oregon State to know Jaden Delora is back and he's always been the starting quarterback of U of A. But here's the funny thing about that. I don't think the crowd wants Jaden Delora as the starting quarterback. The huge piece of specifics here that I'm watching for this game is whoever runs out as the starting quarterback out of the, off the sideline for that first play. The reason why I think this is huge is I think the biggest mistake Todd Graham ever made as head coach is when Terrell, uh, Taylor Kelly went down and Berkovici was fired. And as soon as Taylor Kelly wasn't even fully healthy, but when he was about 80%, Taylor Kelly went back in as the starting quarterback. It was almost like Todd couldn't wait to get back to Taylor because he saw some of the runs that Burko wasn't doing. But the ball was coming out. And Jalen Strong was becoming a star. And Berkovici was winning games with 400 yards of offense. That's your starting quarterback. And Todd Graham didn't see it until it was too late. There has not been a game this year that I've watched Jaden Delora and thought he was better than his backup after we saw how well Noah came in. To me, it's a no-brainer. Noah is the starting quarterback. That's why I can't wait to see who runs out. Because if it's Jaden Delora, I think he's making a huge mistake. And if it's not Jaden Delora and it is Noah, keep in mind, he just said both of the quarterbacks are healthy, both of the quarterbacks are ready to play. That means Noah's the starter then, officially. Let's see what he does. I think it's a huge moment. I don't think Jed Fish is getting fired anytime soon. I think he's going to be a very good head coach. But this is one of those moments where if he chooses poorly and it goes downhill, it's going to take him a while to rebound from it. Uh, here is uh, Jed Fish now talking about the Michigan situation. He was a coach at Michigan, and a report came out of Sports Illustrated that he knows Connor Stallions. Connor Stallions is a former Michigan volunteer who eventually earned his way to become an assistant coach, and he's the one that's accused of going around and buying tickets to different games and traveling around college football, which is against NCAA rules, and actually filming upcoming opponent sidelines to be able to steal their signals. Coach, uh, how close were you to Connor Stallions? And and there's rumors from Sports Illustrated that he was working here at U of A. Yeah, he had no role here. Uh, he's never he's never been a part of Arizona football. Um, he's never been employed by Arizona football. He's uh, the last time I've seen Connor Stallions or talked to Connor Stallions was April of 2021. I think he came to our spring game, um, but I've known him. I knew him when when he was at uh, when I was at Michigan um, in 2016. He was a student assistant at Navy, and um, came by and wanted to volunteer and start working uh, because of his love for Michigan football. And um, that was kind of the extent. Met him a couple times throughout the time throughout the years. And then uh, he was a hardworking kid that they got a weird situation going on over there in Ann Arbor, but uh, it has nothing to do with Arizona football or nothing to do with what we we do here. Okay. I'm not calling him a liar. Uh, I, I don't know any better. It seems like it's legit. So no real connection to U of A for Connor Stallions. Now, Coach, tell us about uh, – lastly, tell us about what's your opinion of sign stealing and is and should it be stopped? Should it be more legal? What needs to be done? The, uh, the sign stealing thing is very interesting. Uh, y- you know, I kind of agree with Coach Prime. You got to stop people even if you know what's coming. And I think he made the comment like, it doesn't matter if a sweep's coming, you got to stop the sweep. Uh, I think that when I look at it in my, my experiences, 
I've never, I don't know how to do it. I wouldn't know how to process getting a, getting a call, being told what happened. Hey, you're going to get this coverage and getting a play in fast enough to communicate it without these communicators and without the stuff that you have. Um, we signal, we use wristbands, we go fast, we use tempo. Uh, it would be very difficult. Um, so I don't really get it. I don't understand the huge value in it. I think we should just play football. Um, but on top of it, you know, we could get rid of it by just giving uh, coach the quarterback communicators in our helmets and not say things like, well, we don't know if it's safe when we know that the NFL does it. And we know the XFL did it. And we know the USFL did it. Um, I think we're the only group that doesn't do it. So if we just did that, we wouldn't be having any of these conversations. We wouldn't have to see 400 different big cards and sheets and all the things that people hold up. And we wouldn't have to be having four people signal and 82 different colored outfits. We could just press a button, call a play, and run a play. Kind of what we do in the NFL. So that's my feeling on it, Mike. Here's what's funny to me about that. Nick Saban just recently said that he, we should separate NCAA into more divisions and, t and leagues that can do it have the coach to quarterback communication. They should have it. So then he mentions the SEC and the Big Ten and then he him holes for a little while and then he says the Big 12. He doesn't mention the ACC and the, and the Pac-12, even though the Pac-12 is dead. But it's kind of funny. Well, the, the leagues that can do it, they should do it. But he only really mentions two and a half that can afford it. I thought that was funny. Steve McCollum's coming up from 8 to 10 today to talk about people stepping on footballs and falling down, and it's very, very funny. Very, very funny. So uh, I can't wait to see that. Steve, how are you? What do you, what do you got play? What are your big plans this weekend? Uh, busy weekend. I had to think there for a minute. Uh, Chaparral football tonight. Oh, yeah. Um, ASU tomorrow, 5 p.m. kickoff at least, so I won't be rolling in at 1 in the morning, so that's good. Uh, and then Cardinals-Ravens on Sunday. Oh, that's right. That's uh, right. I love that then, you're a season ticket holder of both World, teams. And then World Series, too. Yeah. Do you like weekends where you've got games Saturday, Sunday, or do you like it better staggered? I will be footballed out about tomorrow sometime. Yeah. Just a matter of it's middle of the day or in the afternoon, and then I just got to suffer through Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> After after tonight, when you add the normally the just the college and then the pro, you can handle it, you know. Yeah. Uh, and when it's multiple weekends in a row, that's where it starts to you know affect you. Uh, but now that now that I've added that Friday night deal, can get a little brutal. This is not a game on versus Vegas. I'm not touching it for the exact reason I said earlier. Cardinals are getting nine and a half points at home. However. You know, just like I do, when a team that's so much better than the other team comes off of a huge win, yeah. like Baltimore did against Detroit, yeah. when they play a team that's barely NFL quality, there is always a letdown. I don't know if I'd go that far. Well, the at the same time, you know the Cardinals, they're geared up and fired up to play a team like the Ravens, and they're getting nine and a half points, would you touch that no. game? No. I, well, I would touch it. I'd go Ravens over nine and a half. Really? Wow. Well, because this is the Cardinals' MO. We all know it. We have, we've all seen it. Uh, they're in the game the first half. Yep. Third quarter happens, and you could just see that talent level differentiate itself, whether it's the other coach making adjustments or just the guys getting tired. Now they're getting some health back on the defense, but the Ravens are going to stuff it down their face. Mm -hmm. Stuff it down their face. 
Uh, and that's just going to wear down that defensive line. They can't get pressure on quarterbacks now anyway. You're not going to get to Lamar very often because if you do, he's just going to run it for 20 yards. This is a tough matchup. And they'll stay in the game like they have every other game. It's just by the third, end of the third, middle of the third, you're going to start to see the Ravens pull away. And they'll, they'll, they'll get a second touchdown. So even if it is seven points or something, they'll get a second or third touchdown in that fourth quarter. That'll put it above the nine and a half. Okay, you know that's the thing because I got burnt yesterday. I had the Bills covering, yeah, and then there was I, I don't know if you would really call it a backdoor cover because nah. Tampa was in it in the fourth, got that one, and they were they were pushing to try to be able to get the victory. So I don't know if that necessarily nah. counts as a backdoor cover, but yes, late in the fourth quarter, the Bills had the spread covered, yeah. and then Tampa Bay scored. Well, so. they, Tampa Bay could have tied it up with that hail mary. Yeah, how that seemed open. Well, not well, well, because Godwin apparently sucks, right? <laughs> uh, but not only that, he was mugged, pass interference. Like I'm a big fan of late in the game like that on a hail mary, anything goes. Like start, start swinging if you need to, and just let it go, refs, right? Uh, but when it's egregious, uh, on a serious note, when it's egregious, you got to throw the flag. I agree, and it was egregious. They they went and, they went and doubled, they sandwiched him while the ball was barely up in the air yeah. uh, and to knock him down and that's got to be a flag if it's that badly uh, you know a penalty uh, and I hate I hate that so it's like I know I know I'm talking about both sides of my mouth but when it's really really obvious and really bad and affects the play you got to throw the flag I not only agree with you I, I actually don't agree at the beginning when you say for you it's got to be egregious to me yeah. I don't think the rules should change because the game's almost over why, no, it, why change the, the rules the game over it has to do with the Hail Mary right it's just a big scrum in there and may the best man get the ball now i'm with you in this in this sense that the rules already say if i'm going for the ball yeah i can get away with murder exactly so i don't mind you jumping up doing whatever you have to yeah. do and getting on top of people or to try to get the shoving ball. it shoving a guy but no, and then i'm going not up. i'm not for shoving and then Come going on. up or shoving with your head up <laughs> that that is dpi Come that's on. opi call yeah it. but the offensive guys are doing it that's the thing you miss in this situation no i'm saying call you, it on either you one that's what i'm saying you would you would just have offsetting penalties and replay the play so that's why Good. You know, i'm that's excited why do it. or it would be a case where i i don't mind if the offensive guy pushes a defensive player down he catches the ball crowds going crazy flag, yeah, flag. The <laughs> offensive fast interference we'll do it again i mean even though the referees might not live in buffalo trying yeah. to get home hey call it it's your job i think uh i think you know i'll referee should throw flags like that guy you know you talked about the video coming up it's on twitter of course uh thanks for Vermer braxton for for tagging us on that uh but i saw that last night i couldn't figure out what he was doing but the, my favorite part, I think, of that is the referee who just, like, looks at the guy <laughs> and then just, like, casually just throws the flag, like, in front of him. And it's just, like, just this casual, like, oh, you're making me do this. It's, I think it's a perfect description because it, it's a penalty <laughs> for illegal kicking. And I think the referee is trying to decide, yeah. am I really calling this? Yes. I mean, he stepped on <laughs> it and he's falling. Do <laughs> I really need to flag his own it's, ignorance for – yeah? It's the best, I guess I it's have the to. best flag throw I think I've ever seen. Just with the just with the nonchalant, just like, ah, uh, uh, It's so that. great. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, look, but there's something wrong with this Bills offense. I think – we can now it's a Thursday night game. You know, I can excuse the London game where they lost right. badly. Uh, you can excuse this one for Thursday, but there's something wrong with this Buffalo Bills offense. And it's internal. It's either coaching staff to players. They've either toned out their coaching staff or it's players don't like each other. I just think it's Allen's arm. You don't have deep shots anymore because no, he can't you know. throw. Yeah. Who's 
That's Steve McCollum. Is uh, Steve is Dale with you today? Because I've been trapped in my little room. Yeah. Oh, he is okay. I didn't know if he had to fly out for one of his games already. Tomorrow. He's got Cincy Niners this weekend for oh, USA Network. Cool. That's cool. That's cool. So uh, Dale Hellestray in studio today with uh, with Steve McCollum, the main event coming up in just a second. Now it's time for Versus Vegas, where uh, I have been doing fantastic for a long time. Uh, and today I got uh, yesterday I got smacked in the face a little bit, and I was kind of lucky to not go 0 and 3. The game I got right was the Suns because of the hook. Uh, I took the Suns plus the five and a half. Suns lose by five. I barely, barely get that one as the Suns blow it in the fourth quarter against the Lakers. So Lakers win 195, but I win. I had Buffalo minus nine, Tampa Bay with technically the backdoor cover, and uh, Buffalo wins by six, so I missed that game. And then the embarrassing one, Boston Bruins had not lost a game yet this year. Technically, they still have zero losses, but they got only one measly point because they lost in overtime to god-awful Anaheim. What are you guys doing? Your first loss of the year is a home game to Anaheim. What trash. So I missed that game as well and end up at 1-2, and two, which puts me at 10-17, 9-23-1. Today, I got five different games for the weekend. Five games for the weekend. I stopped doing that a while ago because it wasn't going well, but if I find five I like, I take it. Game number one, World Series game number one. I think Zach Gallon is going to pitch a little better than he has been. And I think, I know Nathan Eovaldi will pitch well. Plus, you've got rested bullpens. And we know how great the Diamondbacks' bullpen is. Texas's bullpen, maybe you could maybe if you want to sugarcoat it, you could go up to average. I, I think it's a little flowery to say average, but you could go up that high. I think rested... They're going to keep it under the eight and a half. I don't know who's going to win. I think Texas is going to win, but I don't know. But I'm going to take uh, both of the teams going below the total of eight and a half. Hockey tonight, I love Carolina up against San Jose covering the puck line at minus one and a half. Both teams are on a back-to-back, but San Jose just flew up from Tampa Bay. Carolina didn't travel. They were home last night. They're home tonight. When you get a home back-to-back, the other team is on a back-to-back as well. I'll jump all over that, and Carolina is simply better. So I got Carolina by at least two goals over the Sharks. College football coming up tomorrow. I got beat by my uh, Bobcats last week when I said they would cover, and they won, but they didn't cover. I'm going to take them to cover again. They're playing the team that we do not speak of, the evil arch rival that eats children and serves them in their cafeteria. Um... It's only a touchdown. All they got to do is cover a touchdown. I'm okay with that. The fire's in the belly. Huge game against the rival. We're good here. I take the Bobcats. If not, uh, time for us to get a new coach. That's just me being a fan. He's actually doing a good job, but I don't like it. And then football, NFL-wise, or no, I forgot one other college game. I think Oregon is probably going to win in Utah, but six and a half points seems like a high cover. For a defense as good as Utah's, a great punter at Utah, and a great fan base at Utah. 
I say great because of that they're loud and they fill the stadium. Not great in knowledge. It's kind of crazy. Sporting events in Utah, it's unbelievable how little those people actually know about the game. But they're loud and they care, and that's what I care about. So I like them keeping this game close throughout. So I'm going to take uh, Utah plus the 6.5. I really wish I got 7.5, but I'll take uh, Utah plus the 6.5. And then NFL-wise, I only got one. And I got, I'm got i going for blood money. I'm going to be rooting for my commanders the whole game. But they're at home against the Eagles. Philly fan will take over the stadium. So Washington will need to use a silent count. The Eagles are 400 times better than Washington. And I think that they've got some issues offensively, does Philly. And this is the time to get fat. This is the game to get right for Philadelphia and usually when you know you're so much better than another team you can have a letdown game but you don't have letdown games in your own division against a team that you hate like Washington with your fans right there egging you on I have no doubt in my I would I would probably take Philly minus nine and a half really I I love my team but we we're gonna get dropped so why not make blood money uh, on my team, and, and then I'll still blame Daniel Snyder and Ron Rivera. Ron, Ron's, I've been kind of anti-Ron. He's not a bad coach, but I've been anti-Ron ever since the whole Eric Bieniemy thing. Oh, Eric's a little emotional. You know, it's not like Jack and I. We know what we're doing. I mean, as soon as that happened, it's like Ron. We all know you're getting fired at the end of the year. We all know it. All right, and I think the players know it. Therefore, I'll take the Eagles minus the seven. That does it for today's version of Doug Frantz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Go to Whirl, go to Unplugged at Whirlwind.com, Unplugged at Whirlwind.com, and look at the Whirlwind Plus package. I think it's worth it to jump on. Also, Burrito Express, that sounds fantastic before you do anything today. Best breakfast burritos you will have in your life is there. Plus, they're having a great sale going on with the World Series. Bell's Nashville Kitchen, Main Street, Old Town Scottsdale. I'm talking 70 feet east of Scottsdale Road. Very easy to find. And when it's not spring training, reasonably easy to park. Great time of year to go to Bell's Nashville Kitchen for lunch. Please organize a group. Say you're in the Unplugged Army. Come walking in. Enjoy yourself on a Friday night, Saturday night. And about two weeks ago, I had my first time at the Honky Tonk Brunch. Oh, my gosh. You choose your level of spice. It is just amazing to uh, to get to, to eat there on a Sunday morning. Uh, the, the, it's finally starting to cool off a little bit. Great time to get some electrical projects done. Call Parker and Son 6022 Repair. That's 602, the number two, the R-E-P-A-I-R for Parker and Sons. And the official sports bar of Doug Franz Unplugged is Rosati's, but only the one at Ray and McQueen in Chandler. My best... To a guy we miss around here this week. Can't wait for next week when Isaiah Jackson is back. Izzy comes back next week. The main event is up next. Do me a favor. Dominate your weekend. Hug your kids. Have a fantastic time. You've worked that hard this week. You've earned it. Have a great weekend. I'll see you Monday.